I never thought we'd see such a potential, I suppose, perceived destruction of value more than Twitter than we were witnessing with OpenAI. This was even another level, but I think we've seen the, the decision reversed. ChatGPT, or rather OpenAI, um, is a tool that 100 million people use in their job and in their school and at home. And, you know, this is something that isn't just uh, a pedestrian piece of software. It really has permeated businesses and lives all over the world. So suddenly this was at risk of being pulled from under our feet. Hi there, and welcome to Stock Club podcast brought to you by my wall street i'm mike and joining me in today's episode is my wall street's chief investor Emmett savage before we get into the show i just want to give a quick word to our friends at vodafone business who have recently launched their vhub digital advisory service this is offering irish businesses of all sizes free one-to-one digital support and advice you don't even have to be a vodafone business customer to avail of the service so search vodafone vhub to book a call with one of the vhub digital experts and we will leave a link in the show notes for today's episode Emmett, how are you? It's good to see you. Good to see you, Mike. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, we're just coming off the back of our our live event, our Horizon Members event in Dublin. So I'm still kind of riding that high, which is great. Uh, what were your yeah. What were your takeaways from the weekend? Uh, there was a few things. I think the first thing is that I really love getting together with like minded people. Like no matter what you're into, when you go to a summit or a conference with people who are into the same thing, you realize that you found or at least found in part your tribe. And, and I love that. Um, other takeaways, as you know, Mike, uh, we, the speakers, intentionally avoided comparing any notes prior to the event just to ensure that our opinions were not influenced by any group consensus. And I was really intrigued to hear Bill Mann say that uh, this is the most severe small cap bear market ever. And if you're there, you probably voted in a poll run by Bill by clapping. And interestingly, he concurred in my opinion that a small cap rally is on the horizon. And that's something I'll touch again, uh, touch on again in, in Horizon because I really think there's some amazing opportunities there. Uh, what else would I take from it? Uh, I suppose I was excited for us to do it again next year, bigger and hopefully better and hopefully even more engaging. I also learned an old human habit an unavoidable human habit which is when you pay cash for a ticket you turn up but <laughs> if you don't pay cash for a ticket you'll take it or leave it and we actually would have had twice the number number of people in the room if everyone who said they were coming uh, actually came which is actually a small miracle they didn't because the room was packed but anyway. they fit, would they? <laughs> what was it what were your takes from it mike I love this. I love this. Um, I think, was it yourself or Bill who said that there's only 7% of Irish adults were investors? And that kind of hit home when we talk about bringing those people together because I I don't think there's a lot of those kind of events happening in Ireland. So that's what I really liked Mm -hmm. about it, to see that there was that that kind of communal effort there and and maybe it should be expanded upon more um so yeah, yeah it was great and then i had a bunch of people come up to me and be like geez you don't look like you sound so that was a <laughs> bit different as well i felt like i wasn't getting in trouble and everyone come up to me and be like i recognize your voice but uh, well i'm nearly six foot two i'm nearly six foot two in height and i have never been on a stage where i am by far the shortest between you bill man chris hill and shane curran i was dwarfed by the the four of you i was like the the, the mini me i really felt like i'd shrunk again 
Yeah, Jeez, there was a lot of there was a lot of meat up on stage. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, no, yeah, I just want to say as well. I, I'm sure there's listeners now who are at it, and just a big thank you as well. It was it was a brilliant night, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did because we want to do it again more often and bigger and better. So uh, yeah, no, a great success. Um, okay, so let's get into the show this week, and I'm I'm really glad you took the lead on this topic because it's it's shifting under feet as as we speak. Mm. So we're recording Wednesday morning, and we're going to get into the OpenAI saga, basically. So what's happened in the last five six days with basically the world's most important startup? So uh, Emmett, do you want to give us a quick recap of events now, and we can kind of. <laughs> We can kind of try to get this under wraps, I suppose, but yeah. It, it's yeah, been... and yeah, heaven knows how the story is going to evolve in the hours between us recording this here on the morning of Wednesday, 22nd of November, and it going live on Friday. But anyway, as most people have heard, because really this news has even permeated to the smallest, most regional radio channels in Ireland, but as most people heard, um, the co-founder and CEO of OpenAI, Sam Altman, was shock fired by the board literally we fired him and then following that a host of high profile resignations in the company were tendered the cto mira marathi was appointed as the interim ceo there was momentum to reinstate altman then the board reportedly agreed to revise the decision in principle and negotiations faltered. And then they put in a guy called Emmett Shear, who's the co-founder of a video, the video streaming platform, Twitch, which I think is a gaming platform. Um, yeah. He doesn't he was know how to spell his name either. No, he doesn't. Two T's. What is wrong <laughs> with those people? Anyway, you've really hit the sore nerve. I don't know. But um, yeah, so he was put in as the interim CEO and Altman uh, was apparently going to move to Microsoft. And then apparently about 730 of 730 OpenAI employees signed a letter threatening to quit unless the board uh, re-signs Altman and reinstates him. And then when I woke up this morning, the news was... He's back in as CEO, and it really is um, a lesson in trying to deal with things before bringing them to the public forum and the court of public appeal. Uh, I never thought we'd see such a potential, I suppose, perceived destruction of value more than Twitter than we were witnessing with OpenAI. This was even another level, but I think we've seen the, the decision reversed. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's so much that that comes into this decision. So, why exactly was what were the reasons given for Sam Altman's firing? It was actually very interesting because I don't ever recall seeing something like this happen before. And there's a specific reason, and it was a piece written in Fortune magazine that said that Altman, the Altman implosion, if you will, has proven to be a massive wake-up call about the importance of governance in the tech world and whether or not the open AI board made the right call when it chose to fire Altman. And I think we can, we all have the feeling was the wrong call and they seem to have admitted it was the wrong call, but it's a, it's a case that uh, we couldn't really argue because we weren't given enough information to understand why in fact the guy, the guy was fired. But anyway, according to fortune, um, the company's approach to governance was a demonstrable mess. Like how a generationally important company like OpenAI could be plunged into chaos is down to a unique uh, 
corporate slash governance model. The company's structure meant that the board of directors had ultimate control to make decisions over both the non-profit and for-profit open AI entities. And it left everyone surprised. It left, like, for example, their anchor investor, Microsoft, blindsided mm, by the guy. I heard, I heard Microsoft got told uh, a minute before the meeting. Yeah. Uh, so basically hanging insane. up the phone when Sam, Sam Altman was walking yeah. in the door and be like, yeah, by the way, Satya, we're, uh, we're getting rid of this fella. Um, we'll chat to you on Monday. Like they put 14 billion in. You think that would, you know, merit a little more respect. Now, apparently its structure was designed to develop AIs in a, intelligence, if you will, if you, if you were in a safe and kind of beneficial manner for humanity. And, and it capped the profit arm from OpenAI, which was only introduced in 2019, uh, and its own right was able to issue equity and raise further capital and work with uh, other nonprofits that were established in 2015. But, but there's a few things that were really unusual about the firing. The first thing is that the OpenAI's board, the OpenAI's board job was not designed to protect or represent stakeholders. I mean, that that in its own right is enough to say just dysfunction there. But it was there to prevent an AI apocalypse, which I think most of us at a pedestrian level can say, yeah, we don't want that. We heard AI has a potential threat. So we're glad the board has some power, but a power that vetoes everything else we can see and it brought with it a degree of malfunction. And that structure means that unlike most private companies where major investors and VCs sit on the company's board and have, you know, a say on how the company is run. O- OpenAI's key investors had no power at the board level whatsoever. The second unusual thing was that the board uh, who fired Sam Altman was small and they were inexperienced. This wasn't like a grown-up board, mm. and that kind There's of runs scientists. With the logic. A lot of them, wasn't it? They were scientists. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Which the chairman. Which feeds into yes, your sir. kind of thought process of well, we need to prevent we need to prevent apocalypse. We're, we're not returning value to yeah. shareholders as our number one target here. We need to really, really, no, I suppose, cultivate a safe application of this world changing technology. Which I have to admire, but the chairperson Greg Brockman wasn't even involved in the decision. And as far as I know, that's unheard of in a traditional governance setting. Brockman later announced that he'd be stepping stepping down from the board and then he quit the company altogether um, and at that time had joined Microsoft. I don't know what he's up to this morning because maybe the whole <laughs> thing is just brief. Uh, when, when in my early days of engineering and coding, there was always a file called dot rollback, which was a big file, a software file of the thing before you made changes. I think they really rolled out the dot rollback software. But anyway, the board didn't keep investors abreast of the news. Uh, and, you know, although they weren't obliged to consult with OpenAI's major investors, just not getting their buy-in didn't really do them any favors. And as I said, Microsoft put 13 billion into the company and other investors were the, are the who's who of the investing world. There's Thrive, Koshla uh, Ventures, Tiger Global, Andreessen Howard, Sequoia, K2. I mean, it is literally the who's who of that place in Silicon Valley, what's it called? Uh, Sandhurst Drive or something like that. So all the big VC firms, they were all in. And they too, I presume, alongside Microsoft were completely shocked. Yeah. And I, I guess 
Well, let, well, let's talk about the structure for just a second. So basically, OpenAI's ultimate goal is to become a non-profit. Yeah, that's, that's right. A, that's like a very quick summation of it. So I think their structure now is that Microsoft will eventually own 49% of the company. Yeah, and that's right. Then, and then it'll run through until a certain point, and then it, it eventually becomes not profitable. And I think that's a self-awareness of what they're doing in terms of AI and its applicability in the future and, and why it should be almost a, a public kind of asset rather than being held in the hands of for-profit mm-hmm. businesses. And, and that self-awareness of what well, we're really sitting on something huge here is probably what fed into this as well. And maybe looking at Sam Altman uh, when he did the famous Investor Day and he was showcasing off all the ChatGPT new functions and stuff and the, the the commercial side of things really spooked people as well. So you can you can see why, in a sense, that uh, the board members got spooked, especially considering where they're coming from. A lot of them are scientists. They're not there mm-hmm. to kind of nurture the business side of things at all. But... But to do it in the way they did it really, really exposes them and probably takes a number of steps back in terms of their goal and mission as well. I think a lot of people were yeah. saying this will probably give Sam Altman a lot more power. Yeah, that's right. I mean, what I found almost amusing was that on Friday at a Horizon Live event, uh, I was asked, what are my predictions for next year? And I said, well, I, I think Bing is going to take quite a bit of market share of Google because it is effectively the backend search engine for ChatGPT. And I laid out my my uh, thinking for that particular argument. And then <laughs> the next day I was like, well, there goes OpenAI and there goes its reliance on Bing. And now I'm back in, now I'm back in the game. I, I have some really clangers where I made a prediction that went wrong an hour later, but I thought this was that, just that was, a new record break. That was a little bit too immediate, yeah. <laughs> All right. so. So what's the fallout of all of this? What's the big deal? And why should me or you or our listeners care about all this? Well, as of last night, the kind of future of AI was, I wouldn't like to say change, but very significantly augmented. And uh, for a start, ChatGPT, or rather OpenAI, um, is a tool that 100 million people use in their job and in their school and at home. And you know, this is something that isn't just uh, a pedestrian piece of software. It really has permeated businesses and lives all over the world. So suddenly this was at risk of being pulled from under our feet. Um, I think more interestingly, though, is that um, the there are, there are thousands of businesses out there that have built their proposition and a product and their entire business on the chassis that is OpenAI's infrastructure. And we're seeing all these smaller AI businesses bubbling up everywhere. You can't even surf social media without being hit with some kind of uh, variation of what is OpenAI. Since 2019, Microsoft and OpenAI, which was founded, as we said, as a nonprofit uh, dedicated to artificial intelligence, they've worked together. And Microsoft, uh, I think they invested a billion the year it was founded and then wrote another check in 2021 and up the ante and they committed mm. and committed and committed and committed. And Microsoft and quite... have a very unique relationship in that they don't really pay them. They don't really give them money in cash. They just that's right. allow them to use the computer that's power right. for Microsoft Azure, Azure which, which shows, yeah. I suppose, where the business is at as well. You know, it's, it's, it's yeah. almost like a, a kind yeah. of symbiotic relationship. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, they're Siamese twins of sorts. And and as you said, the Azure data center runs 
all the stuff that OpenAI is built. And it's analogous, I think, to saying, here's only, here's 50 euro pocket money. Oh, by the way, this week's rent is 50 euros. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good one too, all right, yeah. Yeah, but the crux is that Microsoft is working on its own in-house large language model. And this is where my understanding of who ultimately owns the code base in a world where AI, or sorry, I mean to say ChatGPT you know, and OpenAI disassembles, like who owns that intellectual property? Um, Microsoft have their own in-house team. Uh, the thinking as of last night was that if everyone at OpenAI jumps ship and heads to Microsoft, uh, they're going to abandon the world's largest language model. So yeah. that doesn't make any sense. And building a new one from scratch at Microsoft, which I wouldn't say is quite from scratch, uh, it's slow and it's expensive. And you can see why this and was and still is a very strategically important part of Microsoft's um, future potential. You know, yeah. so uh, just on, I think just on was, that, just on that, I think what it also exposed is maybe there are less there's less of a moat in AI than we might think. Do you know what I mean? Mm, like mm. when we were hearing that the CEO and a couple of people, not a couple of people, there was a lot of people might leave from open AI to Microsoft. We're like, all right, well that's open AI done. And that's Microsoft, you mm. know, as the forefront now. And I know that that's the right. companies are so close and, and it's tough to say moving from open AI to Microsoft, but, but in, ter- in, th- in thinking along those lines, what if Google tomorrow, gave Sam Altman an uh, offer he couldn't refuse. And now Sam Altman's working for Google and um, DeepMind. Mm. What happens yeah. then? Is, is is Google automatically now the leader of the AI revolution? So I think in yeah. terms of AI and zooming out, I think I'm going to touch on this later in the show a bit as well, is that AI, in my opinion, will become a technology that is shared and used by those of the deepest resources and yeah that's right with that in mind i don't think it's going to be any one company leading it i think it'll be the largest tech companies that can all avail of it the most you know what i mean and there'll be obviously more intuitive and better uh, applications of it from different players but in general i don't think it'll be a huge cause for disruption because i think the access to it will be somewhat universal. Mm. Bill, Bill Mann made a very interesting point, you'll recall, on Friday, where he said there, anything that's code-based has a threat of new entrants that we don't even know about because there's a bunch of kind of uh, open-toed sandal geeks sitting in a garage working on something. Whereas he said <laughs> that there's no bunch of geeks sitting in a garage working on a new Exxon mobile. Like yeah. if you yeah. can, if you can compete with code, you've got competitors you can't even see. Um, and I agree with you, but had Sam Altman walked to the extreme opposite side of the room, like Google, um, you have to believe he'll accelerate their efforts and hopefully make Bard something usable. Um, but, uh, uh, but it doesn't mean it's a, it's a fast process, but what we do know is that AI is a genuine exponential learning system. And, you know, you hear over the years, exponential growth, which is, you know, hogwash. People clearly don't understand the mathematics of exponential growth, but but AI's learning is exponential. So the first couple of years are a bit unglamorous. There's not a whole lot of interesting stuff happening, but then it gets better and better and better. But the last few days, 
were a hot mess. But the one thing I would have taken from it was that I would regard Sam Altman as a, uh, as, as my mother would have said, like he's a gentleman, the way he dealt with it, the way he handled himself, the way he spoke was with such dignity and, and leadership. Um, he, he said in a tweet that his top priority is to ensure that OpenAI continues to thrive and he's committed to fully providing continuity of operations. And, and he just, you know, certainly publicly, the guy was very, um, he, he exhibited leadership traits that are quite rare and that you wish to find in a business. So certainly from my observation of OpenAI, and its leader, its leader again, as of this morning, I felt, mm -hmm. well, that's in good hands. And certainly we don't really know if the evil overlord and cyborgs of AI are going to take us over, but isn't it quite interesting that it was a human decision that actually reversed the damage done? It was a human decision that created potential damage and a human decision that reversed the potential damage on something that ultimately and supremely is there to augment human decisions. I thought that was quite an interesting irony. Yeah, well, you're clearly not a conspiracy theorist because a lot of people were saying it was the robots taking over the board that got rid of Sam Hallman in the first place. <laughs> yeah, they asked ChatGPT, what should we do? Fire the leader immediately. <laughs> Get rid <laughs> Don't of Don't even humans. tell anyone, just do it. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, before we finish up, uh, lastly on the Sam Hallman and the leadership side of things, um, I think it was something crazy, like it's 600 or 500 uh, out of the 700 employees offered up their resignation in in tandem with them now yeah, yeah you know that that says right. a lot it, it also i'd say they're all all those 505 people or whatever number ended up being are pretty secure in getting jobs anywhere else they want oh, yeah. in the world um i think yeah. mark benioff was pimping out his twitter uh offering job offers to anyone from open ai while uh <laughs> did you see that no no, I didn't. He's basically like, there is an open job offer right here, right now. If you want to sign anyone from OpenAI. To wow. And wow. I think, I think uh, one of the higher ups in OpenAI said, I don't think, I don't think the company that brought us Tableau is going to bring in artificial general intelligence anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. You did see the caliber of Altman's friends as well. Not only his personal integrity, but you saw things like his Brian Chesky and other people from uh, the Y Combinator crew that actually are, uh, have built something great, all jumping to his defense, which I thought add credence to, added credence to his integrity and, and I suppose put a, a spotlight on the naivety, if you like, of a board that just said, hey, you're fired, while the chairman was off having a cup of coffee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Quite firing while your man isn't looking. He was on Twitter live reacting. Um, unbelievable. Okay. Absolutely unbelievable. Right. Look, Mike, let's move on. So let's look ahead to 2024. And we have a few areas worth covering over the coming weeks, but I'm going to hit you specifically with two easy-ish questions, right? So the first one I'd like to hear from you is what stock or industry are you not worried about at all next year? Yeah, this one this one goes against the grain a small bit because obviously people's major concern right now around the market is how top heavy it is. We talked about this at length mm. at the mm. Horizon event where the S&P 7, which was at the Magnificent 7 or the S&P 7, whatever you want to call it, um, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Tesla and NVIDIA is up, uh, is it about 105%? 
on average um this year the rest of the s&p is up the s&p 493 is up about one or two percent so the market's been completely dominated by this very specific cohort of stocks all within basically the same industry as well and obviously that's of a major concern because you know the market becomes completely dependent on a very small number of businesses but I'm actually not that concerned. I'm going to discount Nvidia and Tesla here because I, those valuations are out of control. But uh, the other five, the original kind of fang stocks, we'll say, or I, I don't know what we'd call them now, but that big tech cohort, um, I'm actually not that concerned about. Mm-hmm. I think they're probably five of the greatest businesses we've seen in the last 20 to 30 years. And if you take a quick look at their valuations, apart from Microsoft, which obviously went through all this open AI stuff and, and is in line to inherit 49% of possibly the most exciting and interesting startup in the world, um, the valuations aren't out of control at all. So I think Apple is a bit ahead of its five-year average, but Google, Amazon, Facebook, they're all right there. I know Amazon, you can't really look at earnings, but it's actual um, cash flow to its actual cash flow valuation is well below its five-year average. So nothing is stretched there. And if you kind of zoom out and think about what we mentioned about AI and what businesses will probably end up being the biggest beneficiaries, and it's probably the businesses with the deepest resources, you know, you're not going further past that. Add into that the cloud side of things. So Microsoft, Amazon, and Google are the three largest cloud providers. <clears throat> so if you take all that into account and you take in the tailwind that that will bring as well, and the need for more computing power and the need for more operational power, it all kind of feeds into these companies that at first glance, it looks like a kind of bad spot to be in, but I'd much prefer those five companies to be worth whatever, a collective $10 trillion, then something like Coinbase being worth $20 billion. Do you know what I mean? If we're, mm-hmm. if we're to rely mm-hmm. on on those caliber businesses staying where they are and maintaining these levels of valuation and revenue growth and profit growth, I don't think it's in the worst situation, which is pretty good for the overall market because we've seen how dependent mm-hmm. it has become. So, yeah, I am definitely discounting Tesla and NVIDIA. I think NVIDIA will get into in a bit, but Tesla has just made anyone who's really commented on it look foolish <laughs> in yeah. recent years. Yeah, and in but even I, I still don't recent want to, days. Yeah, yeah, I still don't want to back, back my horse on top of that. But, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of my take. Not like that I'm diving in and buying hand over fist, but the yeah. question was kind of worded of what I'm not worried about. And, and surprisingly it is, it is mm. big tech. So what are your, what are your I thoughts on you that? There. Well, I, it's interesting. The magnif- the median market cap of the Magnificent Seven is about $1.6 trillion. So those seven businesses have a median value of 1.6 trill, whereas the four, nine, three, <laughs> to do the math in my head, but the other four, nine, three, their median value is 50 billion. So 1,600 billion median versus 50 billion median for the other 493. And as you know, I've put my vote down that we're on, I wouldn't say the eve of a small cap rally, but small caps have never been so 
cheap. So I would agree with your sentiment. I think that five of those seven are as safe as you could possibly imagine. Possibly mm. all seven, because I wouldn't necessarily agree with you. I, I can see Tesla are, are on the back foot at the moment with the repricing of EVs, and also it seems to be a mood change in EVs on the whole. And with the Chinese uh, competition coming in from BYD, it's a business that seems to be going through some strategic challenges. But I, uh, I would, I would actually say, with possible exception of Tesla definitely agree that the other six are safe actually to be perfectly honest now I'd, I'd just say um, I think the seven are safe <laughs> to, uh, to bet against Tesla has never been a great thing and I wouldn't do it now so I actually agree with you fully but I my bet would be that we are going to see a small cap rally in the year ahead I what's the catalyst is the question well the catalyst is very simply history per se it's that there has never been such extreme value in that cohort of quality businesses that have on the whole kind of dropped between 50 and 90 percent in value in the last two years and on the whole improved their businesses over the last two years and historically that is always a, a recipe for for um a bull run in a category and even when you look at the multiples of uh, small caps versus large caps our mid caps indeed they 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 are way way cheaper but yes i agree with your point but uh, if the question was asked of me i would have said there's going to be a small cap rally yeah 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 that's not so that's listen not, not let's flip spot, it around yeah. flip it around inversely are there any stocks that you would keep on a short leash in 2024 what are you cautious about yeah I have two and both could make me oh. look very foolish but I think we should separate stock and business mm. yeah. um, when we discuss this now. And the first is NVIDIA. So oh. I'm very sure to, to separate NVIDIA and Tesla out of my first answer because yeah. we just saw NVIDIA report yesterday and we're not going to dive into the numbers, which were outrageous. It's tripling revenue across Unreal. the board and like growing like absolute gangbusters. But after all that and that earnings report yesterday, the stock is down in pre uh, in pre market trading right now. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. If, if you're a company and you triple revenue like you did and you delivered a quarter like that, you'd be expecting a 10, 20% bump. For the stock to be down, mm. I think kind of proves my point. And if you're to go after Nvidia now, I think you would be chasing the hype. And as mm. you've seen, especially since COVID and the years after, that hype chasing really doesn't turn out profitable in the end. Mm, there's there's, mm. there's more to it as well. I think competition will intensify. Right now, NVIDIA is pretty much seen as a pure play. And it, it, mm. it owns this, I wouldn't say mono, monopolistic market share, but a dominant market share in the market that is obviously one of the hottest ever right now, AI. I, I, I've seen hype like this before, but I don't know if it's been as palpable. And NVIDIA very much seems to be the one true bet in the space. Mm, mm. I don't think that can last. Microsoft already announced they were developing their own AI chips. AMD have, have popped their head mm. up as well. So mm. while the tailwinds for the business there are going to remain, and the business yeah. is going to go from strength to strength, I think the stock itself will take a bit of a... A bit of a reset, we'll say. Its valuation will come down. Um, it won't be seen as that pu pure play anymore. And uh, yeah, yeah, suffer as a result. But 
not to say that it's not a great business and that it won't do well in the future because I think it absolutely will. We've seen from this quarter alone, yeah. but that yeah. it's just become too hypey. And then basically yeah. for the exact same reasons, I'm going to throw Novo Nordisk in as well. And this is just because mm. I got I only got to the ends in Yahoo Finance when I was researching this question. Um, <laughs> so the maker of the Panacea, is it Wigovi or Ozampic is theirs? Which both. One? Oh, the, Novo Nordisk has both. Wigovi and Ozampic is Novo Nordisk. Ozampic. Oh, I thought they were competing companies. Smal- Smaldetide or something is the name of the chemical compound. Go on, tell yeah, me. Yeah, GL, GL1. Is that the... Yeah. Yeah, GL1. Yeah. Um, for the exact same reasons, basically. I think... There are those tailwinds there, and this business will continue to do well. It has Hmm. the market leader in what, for many people, see is this just new must-have drug. Hmm. Uh, But for the exact same reasons, I think it won't be seen as a pure play for much longer. Eli Lilly has already brought out a... uh, And it's not... Because you remember, Ozempic is still seen as a diabetes drug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Eli Lilly has specifically brought out a weight loss drug that has just been approved by the FDA. And oh. if that comes to the fore, we'll see that, you know, Novo Nordisk didn't have the same kind of patent protection and, and complete monopolistic power that mm-hmm. investors probably saw. So similar to NVIDIA, I think the business will still do quite well and the tailwinds will remain. That weight loss... The, the momentum there for that weight loss drug is is huge. Uh, we've seen it. Like, mm. You know, McDonald's and Coke are losing billions of market share because of the word Ozempic being thrown around and a couple of investment analysts kind of trying to sound smart for big long-term trends. <clears throat> but I think it'll become a much more competitive space. And I think if you miss the rally, I wouldn't go chasing it now. So, th- so those two could very much make me sound very foolish and they could be the two biggest companies in the world next year and the mm-hmm. Danish krona could be the mm-hmm. most valuable currency in the world. But but yeah, I I personally wouldn't go chasing them. I think I think the hype is very much real and yeah. I think it'll subside eventually. Maybe not next year specifically. Northern Nordisk is they're the most valuable European company, isn't that right? It could be, yeah, I believe it. I- I think it is. But um, do you know, I just slightly off topic, but do you know anybody who's on either of those drugs? Or do you know, has anyone declared to you that they're on one, either Ozempic or Wigovi? No, I don't think it would be a very Irish thing to start announcing that to people, would mm. it? Yeah. No, I mean, it really is being hailed as a panacea. I've read reports about it stops biting nails and it reduces OCD. And it, uh, like, it's like, what does it not cure? Yeah. What does it do to the human body over the long term? Absolutely. And that's the thing. This isn't really tested at all. You know, if this is an, <laughs> whatever it is, a daily or weekly injection, constant uh, exposure to this specific drug, how does that play out in the long term? So uh, that's another concern you could have with it. I, I'm not thinking that far out. I just think that there will be competitors and I think the space will get a bit busier now as mm, it always yeah. tends to do what's what's the term yeah. your margin is my opportunity yeah for sure i mean it's it seems to be quite uh, i know if you've struggled with weight your entire life and you just feel broken by it and there's nothing more you believe you can do you've tried diets and <clears throat> excuse me you've tried special uh, exercise plans 
this injection certainly would be very appealing. But then when you think about taking injection once a week for the rest of your life, that makes you feel nauseous. It's not the most pleasant journey, but it's probably seen as a better of two routes. Yeah, I, I, I'm keen to see how this story plays out, the Ozempic story plays out, because if it doesn't have long-term negative side effects or if the, the negatives are way smaller than the positives, yeah, we could be on a long-term, you know, a, a secular bull with this particular investment but i don't know enough about it and i'm not interested in it yeah yeah i've been thinking along the same lines right mm. um i just finish up there now uh i think that was an enjoyable episode i hope everyone did enjoy and thanks for tuning in but uh, before we finish up i just want to give a quick word from our friends at vodafone business uh they've recently launched their vhub digital advisory service offering irish businesses of all sizes free one-to-one digital support and advice you don't even have to be a Vodafone business customer to avail of this service. So just search Vodafone VHub to book a call with one of the VHub digital experts, and we will leave a link in the show notes for today's episode. Uh, Emma, thanks for joining me. And remember, everyone, if you have any questions you'd like answered or elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter at MyWallStreetHQ, on TikTok at MyWallStreet, or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to tell your friends about us, and don't forget to leave a review for on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Thanks for joining us today, and we will talk to you next week. I just want to give a quick word from our friends and sponsors at Vodafone Business. Uh, I used to think of Vodafone Business as only a reliable provider of mobile and broadband needs, but they're really stepping up to help Irish businesses grow and flourish in an increasingly digital world. So they now offer a whole array of digital apps, from productivity tools and security solutions to IT support and even website builders. More recently, Vodafone have launched their VHub Digital Advisory Service. With its new service, Irish businesses of all sizes can get free, one-to-one digital support and advice tailored to their business by simply booking a call with one of the VHub digital experts on the Vodafone business website. Search Vodafone VHub for more information. Mm